Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm particularly aware of those who might be listening this week and need words of comfort. It's been a very difficult week here in the United States with so much talk and so many news stories about violence and murder. And at times that may repel us from religion, wondering how in the world could a God of love let all this happen, but also I hope at times that we come to God in times of anxiety and fear. And so for those of you who are looking for that, I hope that a few of the things that I can reflect on with you can provide some of that comfort. It's interesting, we're just starting a new sermon series here at our church called Inside Out, where we're looking at all five of our emotions and we're looking at them through the book of Psalms. And so this week we happen to be starting off this series with fear, which uh, is apropos, which is appropriate for many of the things we might be feeling. And so we look at perhaps one of the most, if not the most familiar passages in the Bible, Psalm 23. So hear these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So in thinking about fear this week, I thought about times in my life when uh, I was afraid of things. And one story that always comes to my mind uh, happened when I was in about sixth grade or so. Uh, At the time, there was a movie that had come out called The Amityville Horror. This was back in 1979 or so. And The Amityville Horror was a book about this haunted house in New England. And it became a movie, too. And my dad took me to this movie... Uh, and I remember it was right around Christmas time too, that we went and this movie, the book and the movie just scared me so much. And that night, even though I was, uh, you know, almost 12 years old, old enough, certainly to be able to maybe handle some kinds of fears. I remember desiring and asking my parents if I could sleep in their room, sleep on the floor in their bedroom that night, and they uh, graciously allowed me to do that just because I was so scared of what went bump in the night and what might uh, happen to the walls of my bedroom uh, as I was sleeping. And it's one of those things that it's hard to really describe, but when you're in the presence of someone that you know, certainly someone that's older than you, someone that you trust, someone that you love, fear seems to not be quite as scary. It doesn't have as big of a negative impact on you when you know that there's someone else there for you. And so I think perhaps that's an appropriate way for us to begin thinking about fear as we talk about fear is is part of this sermon series. And we think about certainly our own fears, but we also think uh, this day about the fears that others might have in the world as well. And I'll be talking in a little bit about thinking about the fears that others have. 
But first, let's take a look at fear. And in some ways, fear is actually necessary. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago that talked about a, a woman who has what's called a very rare disease called Urbach Vita disease. It was named for uh, two psychologists. And it's uh, this disease is an unusual genetic disorder that impacts a part of a person's brain that essentially means and damages a person's ability to be afraid. Now, how does this affect someone? They did research on this one woman who is known only as SM in another article I wrote or read about this, that she would do things like reach for poisonous snakes. Uh, she would be she was mugged once and really didn't react at all. Instead of running away from this mugger, she just walk, calmly walked away. And so something in our brains tells us when there's danger and we should be afraid and we respond so that we are kept alive. But she didn't have that. And so that was a part of the people who were around her knew about her and she knew about herself, but she didn't have a, the good, a good enough sense to figure out when should I be afraid and when I should not be afraid. So in some ways, of course, fear is good for us. The problem happens, of course, when fear begins to control us and our actions. It takes over our lives, and that leads to anxiety, and it keeps us from life. It may keep us from love. It may keep us from new experiences. I read a quote this week from a children's book called Jacob, How I Love by Catherine Patterson, and this quote from the book says this, To fear is one thing. To let fear grab you by the tail and swing you around is another. And I think that can be sometimes in our lives when we think about fear that it grabs us by the tail and swings us around. But there are other times perhaps when fear is very normal and fear is understandable. It's a hard balance to make when we have these fears and we know them and name them and we figure out, well, this makes sense. And then when does fear take over and grab us and swing us around? Well, as I noted, we are looking through these emotions through the book of Psalms and we're looking at Psalm 23. We know it from funerals, but it also, if we only, if we take it out of that context for a moment and we read it, try to read it with fresh eyes, then we see that this is also a passage, a psalm that we can use in our day-to-day lives. The scholar Jay Clinton McCann said this, it may be more important that this psalm be read and heard as a psalm about living. For it puts daily activities such as eating, drinking, and seeking security in a radically God-centered perspective that challenges our usual way of thinking. So we can look at when it talks about fear. In the passage that I read, it said, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or maybe you know the King James Version that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The psalmist here knows that he is not alone. Just like I talked about when I was in my mom and dad's bedroom, I knew I was not alone. And that helped to uh, ease any fears that I had that night. And the psalmist here is naming the same thing. But we can use this as a psalm for the living And it comes at the very beginning of this passage from verse 1. Verse 1 is really a place where we can maybe draw the most strength. It's the place where we can find our foundation, our sense of who we are, where we place ourselves in the world. 
And it starts off by simply saying, the Lord is my shepherd. It starts not with ourselves, but instead it starts with the one who guides us, the one who protects us, the one who gives us meaning, the one who comforts us. Interestingly, in the ancient world, when this psalm was written, kings were considered and described as shepherds. And so by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist here is saying something very different. He's saying it's not the king who's my shepherd. It's not someone who is in this world who is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who ultimately guides me, comforts me. And we may think for ourselves, when we think about it, if we were to write this psalm in our own lives, if we were to think about this psalm, what would you write or what would you think about? Like, who is your shepherd? You may say something else. What guides you? Where do you draw your meaning? How do you feel protected? How would you answer this, or how would you fill in this statement, the what is my shepherd? Here the psalmist is saying something else. The Lord is my shepherd, not the king. The psalmist is declaring his loyalty to God and his intention to live under God's reign. So because of that, then we go to the next part of the verse that says, I shall not want. Now think about that. Think about what that state of being is like. I shall not want. I do not have a fear that controls my life, that takes me by the tail and swings me around. I do not pursue things that don't bring me a sense of meaning because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then it continues on, verses 2 and 3, the Lord provides sustenance and safety for us, food and drink. And then we come to verse 4, and when he says, I fear no evil. That's not to say that evil doesn't exist. On the contrary, the psalmist names things that might cause us to fear. He talks about dark valleys. He talks about enemies. But ultimately, these are the things that do not pursue us. A better way to translate the verse 6 is that is not that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, but Dr. McCann, the scholar, says that pursue is a better verb. Another version of this text says this, yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And so on the one hand, I think we're called to make this psalm our own. We take it out of the context when it's written and we pray this, we make this our prayer And this is our psalm to pray, very individualistic psalm. It's written that way because some form of a personal pronoun shows up 18 times in this psalm. So in other words, listen, I counted them up. The psalmist says, in order, my, I, me, me, my, me, I, I, me, 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 my, 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 me, my, I, my. 18 times that comes up in the psalm. So very individual. We want to make this our own. And yet, and yet, and yet, especially this week, we have to realize that we can't just read this individually and we can't just say, well, this is my psalm and it makes sense and gives me comfort. I hope it does, but we also have to recognize and think about and reflect on the fact and ask the question, do others pray this psalm as well? How do others pray it? Do others question it? Do others wonder about it? 
So earlier in the week, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought about an experience I had on Wednesday. I was called to jury duty at the Cook County Courthouse on 26th in California. And I began thinking about this psalm as I was reflecting. In fact, as I was waiting to see if I would be called to jury duty, uh, I was uh, working on this sermon. And I thought about first the question, I made this psalm about me and very individualistic, which again, it's written that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But I was thinking about, well, what scares me these days? And I thought about something that you would think after seven years now, just this a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated the seventh year of starting Urban Village along with Trey Hall. And I thought about what scares me. And still, even to this day, one of the things that scares me, that brings me fear, is talking to strangers. And now when you're a church planter, you're, you're almost forced to do that in order to make connections and tell others about what you're doing. But still, after seven years of doing this work and reaching out and connecting with people that I don't know, it still scares me to do that. And so as I was waiting in jury uh, in the big room, waiting to see if I'd be called for jury duty, I turned around to say, okay, who can, I, who can I start chatting with? And I saw a woman next to me. And as she was sitting next to me, I saw that she was reading the Bible. And I thought, well, this should be, be easy. I can strike up a conversation. We have something in common. But still, I was scared. And I hesitated. Finally, though, I started chatting with her. And I learned that her name is Janice. And then as I was talking with her, it dawned on me that this psalm isn't just for me, but in my conversation with Janice, I thought, well, this is her psalm too. She lives in Garfield Park. She goes to Sunrise Missionary Baptist Church in North Lawndale. She teaches Sunday school to young adults. And so as I was talking with Janice and I thought, I wonder what Janice prays when she may read this psalm. And I imagine her praying this psalm and took on a whole new meaning. Because Janice has fears. We didn't talk about them in depth. But she has fears too. She prays this as well. Does she have the ability where she lives in her context to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Is she able to say that only goodness and mercy pursue her? And then I got called from the next, from that big room into the courtroom itself. And then as I was in there, uh, I got called up to be in the jury box. There were about 20 to 25 of us there. And we got asked questions as the lawyers were deciding about who would be called for the final 14. And as I was sitting there in the jury box and looking out at the young man named Christopher, he was the one who was going to be on trial. And the judge read what he was being tried for. It was armed robbery in possession of a controlled substance. And I the conversation with Janice was fresh in my mind, and I looked across the way at Christopher, and I saw him, and I thought, does Christopher pray this psalm? What is he afraid of? Is he, does he say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? And I found myself not thinking ill of him, not judging him or anything like that. I just kept asking the question, what are Christopher's fears? What keeps him up at night? Is he scared of this situation? Probably, I would imagine so. Is he scared of maybe going to jail? Possibly. Is he scared of the, of the judge? Is he scared of the jury? All of these things. I kept wondering, what is Christopher's fear? And so I thought, well, this is my sermon. I can talk about how we should make this psalm not just our own, but the others as well. And then that night, and later on, we read about Alton Sterling. 
in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so I found myself then asking the question, well, what was Alton Sterling's fears? Was it making enough money? Was it supporting his family? Was he afraid when the police came up to him? Did Alton Sterling pray, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Did Alton Sterling believe that goodness and mercy shall pursue him all the days of his life? Or did other things pursue him as well? And then, of course, Philando Castile. What were Philando's fears? He was legally carrying a weapon with him in the car. And when he was pulled over, what was going through his mind? What were the things that he was fearing? What flashed in his life at that moment? What was his fiance afraid of? What was four-year-old daughter? Was she afraid at all? Did she draw comfort with being next to the two grown-ups in the car with her? Does Philando's fiance now pray this prayer? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can she really say, I fear no evil, for God is with me? And then as the week goes on, of course, and I thought more about this is not just my psalm. What about Lorne Ahrens and Michael Smith and Michael Crawl and Patrick Zamaripa and Brent Thompson? These are the five police officers who were killed while in duty in Dallas. Were they afraid before they went out on the beat that night? Were they afraid? And we don't know. We read later that the Dallas Police Department seems to be really one of the most progressive police departments in the country and working in tandem with folks from the Black Lives Matter movement. But that night, did Lorne or Michael or Michael or Patrick or Brent, when they went out that night, were they afraid? Did they say this prayer to themselves, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Were they able to truly say that goodness and mercy will pursue me? Were they able to say that I fear no evil even though I walk through the darkest valley? For you are with me? I don't know. And that's perhaps the most frustrating thing this week, as I'm sure so many of us on Friday as we read the news about the shootings on Thursday night and continued to read about Philando as we continued to read about Alton And as I kept thinking about Janice and Christopher as well, and I would pray this prayer to myself, and I would realize that in many ways I'm in a a place of privilege when I think about that my fear is talking to strangers. And then I think about what were the fears that these seven individuals had this week. And then I realized this is not just my psalm, even though it's written for me. It is written for you. What are the things that you fear for yourself, for this country? And so I ask you when you reflect on that, and I want you to reflect on that, but I also want you to realize that this is not just your psalm, that there are others who have deep fears too. And we cannot forget that. In the midst of this time when we try to figure out what do we do? Why do we live in a country when these things happen? Why do we live in a country when black men are afraid when they are pulled over? Why do we live in a country now when police officers perhaps even more will be afraid as they go out and do their duty? 
And there are lots of ways that we can respond, and I hope that we as a community at Urban Village and maybe where you are, wherever you're listening, can find a community and find others that you can think of, that you can be with them so that may allay any anxieties and fears that you have. But in the midst of it, we cannot forget the humanity of others and their fears in the midst of it, that this is not just your own psalm, that this is not just a text for us to think about what am I afraid of. We can do that and we should do that, but we have to realize that others may be praying this psalm as well, and those fears are very real. We cannot just say, well, why should black people be afraid of the police and we just ignore them? We have to listen to those fears and pay attention to those fears and think about what can we do in order to work together and help them not have that kind of fear that may grab them by the tail and swing them around. And we think too now about others and those men and women who serve us by being police officers. What are the fears that they have? Is there a system in place that makes them afraid of speaking out when they may see another cop is doing something they shouldn't do? Are they afraid now for their lives? These are real men and women, humans, who are doing and going out and serving us as well. And they may be praying this psalm as well. They may be saying, I have fears. And we cannot forget their basic humanity either. I found myself on Friday, the day after, just being hypersensitive to the people that I was around. When I was on the train and when I was talking to others, I just, I I felt such a, a sense of our common humanness. And I saw and I looked in the eyes of others that I would walk past and I would say to myself, do they pray this psalm? When they go to bed at night, do they say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? And when they say, I fear no evil, can they even get past the two words, I fear? They might not. They might not be able to go to sleep at night. What are their fears? And that sense of common humanity is the one thing that helped me through all this. And maybe it's the one thing that can help you through this as well. You have fears. Others have fears as well. And we must listen to them. And share in that common humanity, all the while not forgetting, even in times of anxiety, even in times when we are terrified, even in times of violence and death, that we have to, we have to believe that we draw comfort and strength. We have to believe that it is, in the end, goodness and mercy that will pursue us. It is God who is the one who will constantly be following us, and we must let just stop and then let that goodness and mercy come upon us and envelop us, and then we stretch up our arms and we allow others to be enveloped by that goodness and mercy. And if it's somebody whose fears that you poo-poo, if it's somebody that you fear that you don't listen to, I ask you to just imagine that they are praying this prayer as well. And we pray that goodness and mercy will follow them too. We must do that as those who follow a God who comforts us, who gives us strength, even, and at times when it might not seem possible, but even in moments when we are walking 
in the darkest valley. So, friends, make this your psalm this week. Pray it. Think about your own fears. But do not stop there. Everybody that you come across in the news that you read and the families of those affected by the violence last week, remember and think and imagine that they are praying this too. And then ask God in community with others, ask God, what do we do? How can we respond to those who have fears, to those who say, I fear, and they can't say no evil because it controls them. What can we do to help them? I don't have any easy answers. I wish I did. All I know in the end, what helps me is asking someone else if I can be with them at night when things go creak and bump and I wonder who's out there. It helps to be with others. And that can be such a cliche, but it's so true. Be with that somebody and with those others so that we can ask these questions and share in that common humanity and that we can pray this prayer as one. May Lord, may the Lord have mercy on us as we continue to explore these questions and may God's goodness and mercy, we pray that God's goodness and mercy will not fail us. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening this week. It's been a tough week. And I wish I could say that in the days ahead that things will be so much better. But all we can do is continue to hold and hope. And I pray that you're able to do that. If you're having a hard time doing that, if you're having anxiety, if you're having a hard time letting go of your fears, if you're having a hard time knowing that others have fears too, Please don't hesitate to reach out to me, chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, or on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to connect and, and respond and, in my own way, uh, give you comfort and, and peace as well. And so, uh, friends, may God's mercy be with you this week, and may you feel God's comfort this week, and may you be one who can extend mercy and comfort to others as well. May the peace of Christ be yours. God of heaven, my treasure.